The JMF Advisors Show is a podcast for business owners, C-suite executives, and entrepreneurs who are looking to build, grow, or even exit a business. We bring in some of our best financial advisors to interview experts on business best practices, hot topics, and sprinkle in some tax and accounting help. If you're a business owner, startup founder, CFO, or just starting your side hustle, this podcast is for you. Welcome again to the JMF Advisor Show. Um, I'm Kim Smith, and I'm going to be your host today. Um, as a reminder, I'm a chat co-tax chair of our tax department, and I'm also in charge of our state and local practice group. And we're real fortunate today to have a guest with us, one of my long-term friends. We've been friends forever, it almost seems like. We won't mention how long. <laughs> Blake Madison. And Blake is an um, attorney at Rosen Harwood, and he specializes in business, corporate and commercial law, privacy, and cybersecurity law, and then our topic of the day, state and local taxation, which we affectionately refer to as SALT. Yes. <laughs> hey, my mom wanted me to, um, I told her that we were doing a podcast together today, and she said, well, tell you, Blake, I said hi. Don't think she meant on the podcast, but we'll give her a <laughs> shout out anyway. Sure. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, Blake also does a variety of uh, speaking engagements on this topic. Do you have any upcoming on the horizon or any um, things you want to tell us about that's going on? No new speaking engagements. Just finished up one recently, but that's the last one for a while. We haven't got any more scheduled yet. So. Yeah. Well, it's just we're all getting back in the swing of things of having in-person learning. Exactly. And with tax season coming up, it'll be after that when folks start scheduling those again. So. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got their mind on other things right now. Correct. Um. So state and local taxes, I think, are often... Uh, not regarded as one of the more important areas that a business needs when trying to comply with tax laws. And what I found is, you know, uh, especially small businesses, they have so much to contend with anyway. Yes. And they focus on income tax and their income tax consequences. And maybe their financial reporting or auditing needs. And then we kind of just throw this back in the corner until that dreaded day when they get a notice. And then unfortunately, um, I think these audits are more painful than just an income tax audit. Is that what you've kind of found in your practice? Well, absolutely, especially for businesses in Alabama, uh, where we depend so heavily on sales and use taxes and municipal business license taxes to, to fund government. Mm -hmm. Those audits you know, are really as important, if not more so, than your traditional income tax audits. And so um, and businesses are usually ill-equipped um, and ill-informed, especially small businesses, about all the requirements. Yeah, because we normally think of sales tax as like going to the grocery store and buying something and you have sales tax tacked onto the end of it, but it, it follows through. It's the business's responsibility to capture that tax um, and to collect it, and then they remit it. So therefore, it's a trust tax that is uh, where they're entrusting your money and then having to 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 send it over to the to the uh, taxing authority. So that tax, that trust tax, is actually in higher regard than an income tax, right? That's very true. That's very true. And, you know, there are consequences. Um, you know, I think a lot of businesses don't realize that they need to not only collect and remit the tax, which is part of it, but that they have records that they have to keep yep. up with that really impact them when it comes time to be audited. Uh, and can highly negatively impact them if they don't have those records. Alabama law, you know, places that burden on the taxpayer, the business, to have those records. And if you don't, 
the consequences are usually not good. The government no. is not going to uh, assume things in your favor, let's say. No, and we'll get into it later when we're talking about tax controversy work. And unfortunate for us, <laughs> that's where we see, uh, that's where most of the time people bring us in. And what we try to focus on at JMF is uh, when a new client comes in is making sure that those uh, those record keeping requirements and that we address any kind of sales or use tax yeah. obligations that they may have in the forefront. Cause I think, you know, proper planning leads to a better result than, than trying to recreate history. Well, absolutely. And you know, sales and use tax seems simple when you go in the grocery store or wherever, <laughs> you know, but it's actually quite complicated for a lot of our business clients where yes. it's not just a direct retail type transaction. It's much more complicated. Yeah. I don't even answer a question without looking it up anymore. Uh, I've been smart. bitten. <laughs> so I thought what we would do is we kind of, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to assume if someone's listening to a SALT po podcast, that they uh, probably have some kind of working knowledge of state and local taxes. So I kind of wanted to go over like the new developments. Um, and, 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 you know, lucky for us, they're not that new, but just kind of go over an overview of things that have happened in the past couple of years that have impacted a larger number of businesses than I thought that they would. And I think the first one I um, I think of that really hit the news and you, and you heard it on a national scale was the Wayfair case. And we're not talking about how to shop. We're talking <laughs> about an actual sales tax case involving Wayfair. Can you kind of give us the highlights and then we can kind of talk about how that impacts large and small businesses? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Wayfair case, uh, really, if you want to it really rocked the world, <laughs> tax world, even your yeah. way, business world. And it was really something some of us saw coming for a long time, but we just never, you never knew when that shoe was going to drop. And the Supreme Court um, a few years ago did decide the Wayfair case, which essentially did away with the requirements that a business have a physical presence in a tax jurisdiction to have the obligation to collect and remit sales taxes when they sell to customers in those jurisdictions. Right. Uh, for years and years and years, we've always had the protection that, well, I don't, my business doesn't have a physical presence in that state or that city. And so I don't have to collect and remit sales taxes. That's gone away. Yeah. And as a result, uh, the various states have enacted their own laws now as to when, you know, when your level of activity rises to the level that requires you to start collecting and remitting that state's sales and use taxes. Um, and, and it differs from state to state. Yeah. We see a lot of, there's not much conformity in that area. So there's different dollar amounts of business, uh, different amounts of actual physical uh, contact with the state that come into play. And so it's very important if you're doing business in uh, multiple states to be sure you know the rules in each of those states. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, at jmf.com, we have a table that we update periodically that gives the level of threshold in each state. Um, and I want to, I want to, uh, like, just as a practical note, I have a client that uh, is an internet retailer. So, you know, they're selling mm -hmm. everywhere and they sell a small product. So it's not only dollar amounts in these states, it can be number of products sold. So, you know, you may think that I, I'm selling this really small product, product that cost a dollar. But if you sell 1,200 of them, then you've reached the, the threshold there, which is odd, I think. It is. And I think a lot of folks overlook that th those thresholds mm -hmm. more so. They're more focused on the dollars than they yeah. are on the actual number of items. Yeah, because I think a lot of the states are like... I think some are 150,000 and some are 300,000 yeah. are the ones that I've seen that are most common. 
And our <clears throat> my my the clients that I use have internet plugins that plug into their um, websites, and it automatically collects the tax. But I do want to caution that I do have one client that uses S for. Alabama sales tax only, and they do use one of the national companies that provide these internet plugins, but that company cannot get Alabama correct, no matter what they do, <laughs> and it caused a lot of problems for them, so now we do that for them, so um, just because they, well, first of all, if you collect the tax, you remit it, no matter what. That's correct. Um, but at least you want to, you want someone checking behind to make sure that it looks reasonable and tying in the sales that that internet um, company is collecting for you versus what you're depositing in your bank account. Yeah. Because they're going to look at, if they're audited, which one of these was, were <laughs> audited, they're going to look at and to make sure that you've got records that show what you're actually collecting on your website equals what you're reporting on your income tax return absolutely. equals what's being reported in your books and records. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned the matrix that you guys keep up. Um it's a good source resource for um, for businesses to look at because you you know even if you think you know these thresholds they do change yeah and so having a resource like what you've talked about on your website that updates uh, that changes <laughs> which with, I might need to make note to self I need to update <laughs> that when I get back to the office <laughs> but it's not unusual for a state to usually they're lowering those thresholds yeah. I mean and, yeah and they're not going to raise them no so so you see those lower which means you're more likely to be subject to that state's tax so it's important to keep up to date not just assume you know once you know the first time right and then you have to kind of keep in mind I know this is kind of jumping topic a little bit but once you reach that state's sales tax threshold there may be a distinct possibility that you've reached their income tax threshold and those can be two totally separate tests absolutely absolutely so um anyway it's and, uh, it and can then be you get risk. into other different rules that apply <laughs> with income tax and whether or not you're subject to income tax right. in that state as well with public law 86272 and that, so. Right, but I I think you could probably expect at some point, or I I, I feel like if if you have a client who or, or you're a taxpayer who meets the Wayfair sales tax threshold, that you could probably expect at some time you're going to receive a uh, what a Nexus questionnaire. Oh yeah, from that state, yeah. uh, asking you about all your activities in that state. Yeah, and it's very important when you get those questionnaires to be very careful. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you respond to those, because they're they craft those in such a way to help you find nexus in that state, and right. so it's very important that you, you frankly, you should work with your CPA or your tax advisor to to check and make sure that you're answering it in the most uh, favorable way to you. Yes, exactly, especially when it comes to that uh, dreaded question of how long have you been selling in this state? Absolutely, right? <laughs> it seems like an innocent question, but it's not. It's not. No. Um, okay, so we can kind of move to income tax now. And uh, in the past couple of years, uh, several states have been enacting legislation where pass-through entities may pay the tax at the entity level, and then um, that allows them a benefit. You want to explain what this pass-through entity tax, or as we call it, PTE, does and how that helps Taxpayers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This sort of, if you want to go back in time a little bit, uh, we had federal legislation that was passed um, that put into place uh, the so-called SALT cap of 
which only allowed you to deduct, I think, $10,000 annually uh, of your state and local taxes on your federal income tax return. And for low-tax states, that's usually not an issue for most taxpayers, but it was an issue and is an issue for uh, higher tax states. Uh, so you see, I've seen many states, not all, but many yeah. states, pass these laws that allow uh, for their state tax, state income tax, to be paid at the uh, entity level for what it would normally be a pass-through entity. They can make an election, um, and they can pay the tax at the entity level, and then the individual uh, owners at that point will be able to take a credit, uh, or at least that's the way we do it in Alabama. It's mm -hmm. done a little different in every state, but uh, allow them to take a credit in Alabama that will essentially help you to, to to be made whole on your federal income tax deduction. Yeah, and I think it, it works out really well for um, people who may not itemize would be your big person, but people with a lot of net income, um, a lot of taxable income that are really limited on that itemized deduction, this, right. this really benefits. Right, and we have a lot less people itemizing these days with the current rules. So. Right, and so... Uh, most of these states require estimated tax payments, and Alabama did with their law um, and kind of gave a little reprieve because last year was the first year that we were right. able to do it. Um, and so if you received, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there, if you received uh, a notice, a failure to, to file estimated tax payments, there are some steps you can go through to get some penalty relief for those estimated payments. Do you think that this will continue? Um, do you think the trend, and this is personal opinion, <laughs> do you think this trend will continue where more states will pass this type of legislation? I, I would think so at this point. I think yeah. I think as long as that, especially as long as that, that uh, SALT cap um, is in place on the federal level, you'll see that still continue. Yeah, and I, I don't foresee us having any federal legislation <laughs> changes in no. the next year. No. So, I mean, it is something to take advantage of. And it, and as you and I were talking earlier, um, once you make the election in Alabama, it's binding until you actually right. physically go in and unelect. So if there is any legislation that makes this not look as favorable, we'd need to make sure to let everyone know that they needed to conserve whether or not they wanted to abort. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, and folks need to remember, you know, in Alabama, you have to do this online. Mm -hmm. um, and it is an affirmative election that you have to do. It's, you know, for calendar year taxpayers, you've got to do it by March 15. Uh, mm -hmm. Although we did have a little reprieve this last year because yeah. of the first year, but you won't have that going forward. Uh, and as Kim said, you, you know, if you decide, you look at it each year and you decide this is probably not in our best interest, then you have to affirmatively go online and, and unelect if you will, or de-elect, deselect, whichever. Yeah. You have to get rid of it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with COVID, um, and thank goodness we're almost out uh, of that, I think, um, remote employees became a hot topic. Uh, and yes. uh, it seems like uh, people are moving back to the office. Um, but we still have... Uh, I know in our profession, especially, there are tons of accounting. Account there aren't enough accountants in the world right now, and so a lot of firms are recruiting. Um, Something nobody ever said about no, lawyers, mind no, you. No, <laughs> there's all, there's never. <laughs> there's always enough lawyers. All too many lawyers. Yeah, too many of them, right? <laughs> uh, they uh, there's a lot of remote working. You know, like your boss or your company that you're working for may be in California, yeah. and you're sitting here in Alabama. So why don't you discuss some of the 
if you're an employer and you find yourself in that position where you're hiring people that aren't residing in the state where your business is located, what does that look like now? Yeah, we saw a trend, you know, of people wanting to work rem more remotely even before COVID, but that yeah. just, you know, that was like <laughs> gas to a flame. It accelerated that so much and almost, it really was a necessity for, for yeah. some period of time there with all the shutdowns we had. Um, and most states, um, departments of revenues or whatever, you know, they would, they would, they put out rules and regulations that basically said, you know, during the time of this federal emergency, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to, you know, penalize you for remote employees. We're not going to require you to, to take that into account in whether or not you're withholding our state's income taxes or not. Uh, most all of the states, including Alabama's, uh, mentioned that that as long as that was a temporary situation. Right. And, you know, there's no hard and fast rules about what's temporary, what's permanent as far as this remote working. So now that we've come out of the pandemic, these emergency orders have gone away. Um, you know, it's important for businesses to pay attention when they do have remote workers that, you know, you may have um, income tax withholding obligations in those states where they reside. And, you know, remote workers are not going to go away because, as you say, with yeah. the shortages we have these days, and with the ability we do have to work online so much or remotely online, um, that's going to continue on regardless of the, yeah. you know, COVID or not. So businesses are going to be more aware of, you know, where their employees are working. Uh, there's going to be gray areas as to how much, you know, if it's, you know, if it's, you know, temporary or not, you know, there's a lot of things to look at there. So businesses don't need to assume now that COVID has passed that the, the temporary rules that sort of waived all those requirements are gone for good because they're yeah, not. Yeah, because we, we have no idea what that temporary meant, really. No, no. I mean, I guess you could look to federal income tax law kind of a year, you yeah. know, with or the intention to come back. But yeah. I don't know how you prove intention to come back if that person was hired remotely exactly. and has worked that way the entire time. Yeah, and like I said, with, with COVID passing now and, and, you know, all emergency orders are are, are essentially gone um, you have to be very careful, I think. And I think it will be a point of emphasis on audit down the road in states. It, I don't know that we've seen that a lot yet. Yeah. But, you know, down the road, I think there's going to be some serious opportunity for states to, especially states that have, uh, that depend on income taxes more with and employment taxes more to, to audit for those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to move into a topic that no one likes to talk about. <laughs> Except us. Except us. Yeah. And unfortunately, that, you know, the fees generated from that. But anyway, um, tax controversy work. And that's, you know, it's sad when it happens. I think the sad part to me is when someone, uh, assuming they're doing everything correctly, I hear that so many times from clients. Oh, yeah. I'm trying my best to do everything correctly. And I have this audit and now I have this bill and more often than not we're brought in after they received the bill so let's kind of go back and let's say you're a taxpayer and you receive a notice that you're being audited and let's do sales tax first because you know that's the hardest yeah let's get that out of the way <laughs> and so you receive a um a notice that you're being audited for sales taxes. What would you advise someone to do once they receive the notice? Well, I, and I'd even go back further to start with. Okay. Uh, you know, as businesses are getting started up, there's so much, as you said before, there's so much going on. They're trying to learn, you know, how to run a business. 
it's really important to take just a little bit of time, invest a little bit of money to yep. to, to sit, buy some time with Kim or you know your other your CPA or your tax advisor, be it an attorney or whatever, and just kind of talk through your business, what you do, and you know make sure that you kind of have a good understanding of how you should be handling sales and use taxes. Um, you know, a lot of businesses don't even realize they have a use tax obligation That's right. I was at about all. to say, why don't you tell us what use tax is? Uh, use tax is essentially if your, you know, your business uh, buys a product that you are not selling to your customer, but you use in your business, um, then you you actually, and if you don't remit sales tax when you buy it, then you owe a use tax on it um, in your business. So. When you do get the audit notice, then, uh, and you're going to, especially in Alabama, because, right. you know, we've got the Department of Revenue, we have the local jurisdictions in Alabama, and, you know, several other states have local jurisdictions as well, but you're, you're going to get audited. And uh, it's not personal, yeah. <laughs> as some businesses seem to, to take it. It's not personal, uh, but it is part of doing business in Alabama. Uh, so when you get that notice, first thing first, don't ignore it. Um, Correct. <laughs> typically, they are going to have a you know they're going to have a specific list of documentation that they're going to want to review. Uh, they're going to have a date that they want to set up for right. their audit meeting, or, or deadline for you to submit that information, depending on how it's handled. Um, and so, it's important that when you get that notice, that you start dealing with it immediately. Um, my recommendation is when you get that notice to contact your CPA uh, or your your tax attorney if you have one. Give them that notice and just talk through it and how you uh, respond. Uh, I don't know about Kim, but I know for some of our clients, you know, they don't really want the auditor in their business. Right. And so we'll offer, you know, if you'll bring the records to our office, we'll work with the auditor here and you don't have to deal with them directly. They don't, they're not in your business. Yeah. Literally. Yes, because uh, they want to come there. If And I'm going to interrupt. No, sorry. That's fine. But uh, let's say you own a, a convenience store or a restaurant or, you know, what have you. The auditor wants to come to your business and sit at your business and go through your records. If you do not have someone that's representing you and you do not have somewhere else for them to work, like a, like uh, you own a chain of restaurants, you have an office building, you know, you may work at your general office. Right. Uh, Barring that, they're going to sit at your. So a lot of people don't want them sitting there, absolutely working at absolutely. That, that location. Um, and so you know, when we get those requests for audit, um, you know, you look at the records that are requested. Sometimes they're reasonable. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. <laughs> That's where your CPA yeah. or a tax attorney can come in to play and helping you understand what is and isn't reasonable. Uh, but it is important to pull together as much of the documentation that's been requested as possible. Uh, because if you don't provide that documentation, number one, the department or the auditor is going to uh, be given a great deal of leeway in making assumptions that are not going to be in your favor. But number two, uh, it also is going to speak to your intent. To, you know, if they determine that there's you know some fraudulent activity or uh, you know or negligence even that you don't have or don't provide those records. So um, it's important if you have those records that you pull those together and and present those uh, in a timely manner. And that's just going to be beneficial to you in getting the process completed and and hopefully as painlessly as possible. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to bank back to some of the things that you said at the beginning as far as, you know, when you start up and meeting with your accountant. I think it's important to meet with your attorney and accountant um, at the same time when you're, if at all possible, when you're starting your business. And then when 
when, um, especially if you have a cash intensive business, like a restaurant or um, a tavern, a bar, or anything that's cash intensive, because a lot of a lot of the time, luckily for us, um, point of sale systems has helped the restaurant industry immensely. I think they can, yes, yes, they can help. <laughs> but you have to make sure, you know, you want to make sure that that point of sale system ties into your deposit yeah. at the end of the day. That ties into the gross receipts that are on your income tax return. That ties into the gross receipts that are on your sales tax return. That's right. So. Some people think, oh, I've got this point of sale system. It's keeping up with everything for me. It's not. No. You need to have those checks and balances to make sure when someone comes in that it's all going to tie back to to that number. Um, and then, gosh, oh, use tax. I wanted to give an example because you gave a great explanation of use tax. But I kind of wanted just to, to go back a little bit as far as use tax. Let's. It, we used to have it a lot more when people could order off the internet and not pay sales tax. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the Amazon purchases. That's right. Credit card purchases. And so uh, just an example would be if I've got a manufacturing firm and I uh, buy shop supplies like uh, um, rags or cleaning detergents yeah. or gloves or safety supplies, those things, and you buy them and no tax are paid on them, then it's your responsibility as a business to pay tax on them. That's correct. Can you think of any other? I, I, that was the first one that came off the top of my head. I can't think of like the use tax killers. You know, yeah, that, that's, that's the primary area where we see those kind of things pop up these days. Like you yeah. said before, when uh, when you were able to buy on the internet and no, no tax was collected, we saw it in a lot of other different aspects of your business. But, uh, but nowadays, most of those uh, transactions involve sales tax. So you're only talking about those where uh, you may be buying products uh, that you're going to use in your business, but you're not selling. Uh, that's where that usually comes up now. So. I thought of one more. What's that? And one more gotcha is local tax versus uh, state tax. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that you buy something from a company that's located in Birmingham, but that company never comes to Tuscaloosa. You're lo- located in Tuscaloosa. That company does not have physical nexus in Tuscaloosa. So you purchase, you drive, you, maybe they mail it to you or you drive up there and pick it up. Well, no, that wouldn't work. They mail it to you. So you order the part or the supply. You order the rags from Birmingham and they deliver it to you in Tuscaloosa. And you get your invoice and you've got 4% sales tax on there yeah. with the state. But you don't have the local city and county. That's correct. So that's I think that's the other gotcha. Yeah, and 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 that to take it one step back <laughs> even there, people need to realize there are essentially three levels of sales and use tax in Alabama. Uh, some states you only have one. It's a statewide tax that encompasses yeah. it all. But in Alabama, we have a state level tax, a city and a county level tax as well. So there's three different levels. And yes, that is often the case where the state tax may be, co- yeah. state sales tax may be collected, but you still have to deal with the local tax. We're so fortunate to have the local taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It just gives us one more level to mess up, right? That's right. Um, okay, so they've gotten the audit notice. They've met with their professional. They're in the audit and the audit comes back where they, or maybe they've met with us and we've kind of pointed out some, here's some areas where you may have some issues. And lo and behold, the auditor finds these areas where we thought they may have some issues. 
Um, and as we've said before, state and local sales taxes are very complicated. Mm. So the auditor has picked this issue that we feel is gray. And we feel like we've got a really good stand as to why that's not taxed the way the auditor is deeming that it should be taxed, whether it's not taxable at all, whether it's taxed at a different rate. Um, uh, so what should they do then? Well, what are their options? Well, first off, that's why it's so <laughs> important to get your CPA and your tax attorney involved as early in the process as possible right. so that you're prepared for those situations uh, so that you can address those legal issues. If you can present that to the auditor, and I always tell my clients, the earlier in the audit process that we can deal with an issue, the more likely we are to be successful. The further it goes right. along, the further it gets ingrained in the process, the more difficult and frankly, more expensive it is mm -hmm. to, to get that corrected. So it's very important to do that, present that information to the auditor, you know, essentially present your case on that issue to the auditor, um, and hopefully you'll convince them of that <laughs> and provide them whatever documentation right. you need to back that up. Uh, but you, you know, you have that legal argument in those gray areas so that you're prepared and you're not surprised. Uh, if you let it go, you know, all the way into the preliminary assessment, then it just, the longer it goes again, but the more difficult it is to, to get that issue resolved. Yeah. Cause you might could argue with the auditor and they re they see that everything that the, the client has done has been perfect except this one little area. And they may just say, slap your hand. Absolutely. Go forth no more and keep, you know, do yeah. it this way now. You know, if it gets all the way to Montgomery, that, that lessens. Oh, yeah. You know, they're going to back up their auditors Absolutely. nine times out of 10. And then, but then, alas, all is not lost. <laughs> you know, if it, if it makes it to Montgomery and, and it's upheld, then you do have some options, another option at that point too, right? Absolutely. As part of the audit process, either way on the state or the local level, uh, they're required to issue a formal preliminary assessment to you for those taxes. It's very important. I can't emphasize very. it enough. <laughs> very important that as soon as you get that preliminary assessment, that you get that to your CPA or yeah. your tax attorney, because you have a very small window of time to appeal uh, that preliminary assessment. Uh, it's a 30-day window that can close really quickly if you're not paying attention. Right. And you need to give your advisor some time to actually, you know, prepare the documentation and, you know, obtain whatever records are needed to help support your position. So it's crucial if you can do that and you can essentially stop the clock, as it were, uh, and have that appeal in place, then that will that will give you much more time to deal with it as you go forward. But if you miss that 30-day window, you're just out of luck yeah. um, for the most part. I mean, there are some options down the road, but they're not as pleasant. So No, and they're more expensive. Absolutely I mean, the, the longer you go in the process, the more you're looking at time and expense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunate for someone in that position. So don't put that, you know, envelope to the side and say, I'll deal with this later. Um, it's something you really need to deal with or at least get your CPA and your tax attorney dealing with as soon as possible. Yes. And I do want to speak to the um, timeline for audits. I mean, normally what I see is a client gets an audit notice and then two weeks out they set a... Um, an appointment. Most of the time we call and say, Hey, can we have a couple of more yeah. weeks, especially if it's, you know, the first quarter of the year. And then, then they, they come and they have an initial meeting. And I can't stress enough 
how important it is to for the taxpayer to either not be at that initial meeting <laughs> and have their their representative represent Absolutely. them or that they are I don't want to say schooled they are educated yes. by, by their by their um advisor uh, because there's some horror stories with people that I've been sitting at the table with and I'm just like oh my god did he just say that? Yeah, I mean, the last, <laughs> let me correct that for you. <laughs> the last thing you want to do, number one, is to get off on the wrong foot with the right. auditor. I mean, they, these are human beings. Yeah, it's just um, their job. They, yeah, they're doing a job. They're not. It's not personal to them. Uh, they're, they're they're trying to do their job. So, you know, I know it's not a pleasant situation, but you don't want to make it uh, ugly to start with. You want to be as cooperative as possible. It's you know, it's a requirement of the law. We've got to do go through this process. But as Kim says, you know, you have to be careful what you say because, if, especially if you're not really aware of the rules as you should be, then you may, you know, step in it, as they say, uh, yes. <laughs> and get yourself in worse trouble as far as um, the arguments that you might have. So uh, the less the client says, the better, usually. Uh, on those issues. Yes, and we're not saying hide anything. No, We're just no, saying absolutely. maybe not volunteer. <laughs> that, that is correct. That is we're not we, talking about evasion. We're uh, just avoiding. As, right? as one tax attorney I, say, I know says, uh, we don't need diarrhea of the mouth here. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Uh, and they're waiting for you to have that. You know, I was an oh, auditor yeah. with the state of Alabama. and you. She's you, reformed. I'm reformed. Well, many years reformed. <laughs> That's I mean, correct. I was very young when I was doing that. But it was considered a talent if you could get you know, you could sit there and you could get people just to oh, yeah. talk and talk and talk. And then you're, you know, then you're like, oh, God, he said it. Um, okay. I did want to mention, too, you know, we were talking about the longer it goes, the more expensive it can be to fight something. Um, the Alabama Tax Tribunal. Talk, let's talk about their calendar for a moment. <laughs> so let's say you get all the way to... That you you really feel like you have a good case. It's it's a it's a high dollar case. It's something that impacts your business for future years that would impact it negatively. So you've made the decision. I'm just going to fight this to the end. And so your first line of defense, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, would be the Alabama Tax Tribunal because it's it is a court, but it's less formal and less expensive. It's Generally, that's the case. I mean, and, and well, I guess we should say, you know, once the, we go through the preliminary pro appeal process, there is a the Department of Revenue or the locals will issue a final assessment, and that's when you have to appeal to either the Alabama Tax Tribunal right. or your local circuit court. Uh, those are the two options you have, other than paying the tax. Yeah, uh, you can appeal to one of those two normally, uh, and again, you have a very short window of time for that appeal, so it's very important when you get the final assessment to get again get that to your advisor. Um, normally, uh, we do recommend going to the Alabama Tax Tribunal. Uh, you can do that for all state uh, sales and use tax appeals. You can do it for the majority of local sales and use tax appeals. There are, I think, 15 or so cities and counties that have opted out of the Alabama Tax Tribunal process, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and so they have little different procedures that we go through there. But uh, for the most part, we can appeal to the, the Alabama Tax Tribunal. As Kim said, it is less expensive because it's a much less formal process. Um, it's not inexpensive, mind you, but yeah. it is less expensive. Um, and and so if you have a strong enough case, you certainly want to to get that appeal in there uh, to the tax tribunal. 
And you and I have worked on a couple of cases where we've gotten some really favorable adjustments there. Absolutely. Yeah. How fun is that? (laughs) That's awesome. It's awesome to get a win. Yeah, we love a win. Um, Okay. Well, And and the good thing about that is the tax tribunal only deals with tax matters. So you have knowledgeable judges that understand tax law. most of the time, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so they're even on a, even if the Department of Revenue decided to appeal their decision, usually they're upheld because the yeah. the other courts of the state that don't practice tax um, have a lot of respect and give a lot of deference to the tax tribunal and its decisions. Well, and that's a good uh, point. You know, you go to circuit court. I mean, you may be dealing with a, a a circuit court in X county, and that person has no idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was never t- tried a case with tax law before. Yeah, and most of them don't want to no. try a tax case. <laughs> but, you know, there are occasions where it's beneficial to go to your local circuit court. Um, home cooking, as yes. we say sometimes. <laughs> there are some cases where that comes up, but it, it is such an expensive process that um, that really requires special circumstances. Well, and also, I guess where I was going to with the, with the tax tribunal when I was talking about, you know, how an audit from start to finish can take months. I mean, I don't want people to think they get a sales tax audit notice and they think it's going to take, like they're going to come and audit them for sales tax and they're going to be done that day. Yeah. No, they're going to be done about a month and a half, two months from then. If then. If then. Yeah. Because they have lots of cases going on at the same time. And then if you get unfavorable, you're looking at another month and a half, two months, if lucky, of making our decision about what we're going to do about this or try to exhaust those local remedies what you know little that we have right and then if we make a decision that you know we're going to fight to the end <laughs> and we're going to go to the tax tribunal which kim and i are always good, glad to do yeah we're glad that we're happy to do that <laughs> and we go to the tax tribunal it may be six eight months a year before the tax tribunal has time to to listen to that absolutely and you know in recent years with covid you know some of my cases are now been strung out two three years oh, wow. so it can be a very that. lengthy process um, the tax tribunal is working hard to catch up on that. I didn't mean to throw off on them. I'm no, just no, no, saying no, but the, it's, you know. there's just a process you go through. Even there, while it is less formal than circuit court, there's still formalities you go through. Uh, different, you know, the, each side has their time periods to to do different things in the tax tribunal uh, process. So it just takes it takes several months at the very least. Well, and and then you still have to wait on the decision from the tax tribunal, which you know. That can come, you know, I've had cases where it was a year and a half after our hearing before we got a decision. That's unusual, but it, so just understand you have to be patient. It yeah, can take and so time. what do you do? What if it's an issue that you think's gray? <laughs> this is a terrible question. I'm putting him on the spot. It's an Only issue. because we've had this yeah, problem exactly. come up. So. Yeah, I mean, and so it's a year and a half or two years. Do you keep on with your gray position? I would think you have to. I don't know. I Generally, mean, do do? I think you and I both recommend folks yeah. stay consistent with what they've been doing, um, unless you know that that's you know a, there's been a change in the yeah. industry that you're in and the practice of of, of your competitors and how they're handling it. Uh, you want to stay consistent until you get a final answer, uh, understanding that there's some risk in doing mm-hmm. so. But if you suddenly switch and <laughs> essentially start doing things the way they said you should have done them, then that doesn't look really good for you either yeah, so what does that say yeah but it's difficult because you realize you have growing exposure yeah yes that's just not fun no. there's no good answer there no. i did want to touch on one thing we've talked about tax controversy i think we've exhausted it except 
What if you find, um, let's say you hire me <laughs> and I come in and, and, you <laughs> and you come in and I come in and I say, you know, you're paying tax on that item. Let's say it's a restaurant and it's to go containers, which I think are part of the, pro I don't know, maybe that's a gray area, but anyway, let's just pretend that, <laughs> but let's, it's, it's, it, you're buying something and you're paying tax on it when you should not be paying tax. Right. And you've been doing it for three years. And I come in and I say, you know, we could petition for a refund. I didn't want it to let people know that there is a remedy where if you've been overpaying sales tax on an item that you're purchasing, that there is a remedy for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's another good reason to have your you know, CPA or tax attorney in and get to know your business because they may have suggestions like that for yeah. you. Of areas where where you can uh, stop paying tax, or in this case, as Kim's mentioning, get refund of taxes that you have paid inappropriately or in error, I should right. say. Um, but again, timeliness is important here because we have what are called statute of limitations. So you have uh, a window of time in which to claim that refund, or you'd lose it. So again, it's important to be very timely with that. Once you discover those opportunities. Right. Uh, to file a refund claim to do so as quickly as possible. Yep. Okay. Well, I think we've exhausted tax controversy, but I have <laughs> one last topic um, that I wanted to talk about today. And then you can talk about anything you want to, too. We can wrap it up with that. But we'll be here I a want... while then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're nervous. <laughs> we could talk tax forever. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about municipal taxes. We've touched yeah. on the, the local, state, and um the local state and city tax, I mean, the local city and county taxes, sales tax and use tax. But I wanted to talk about business licenses because that's been a pretty hot topic uh, in the city of Tuscaloosa for the past couple of years yeah. because they have, they have, I don't think it's a secret, but I, I, I think they have um, better, um, they've had a better ability to get information from third parties or from automated systems that allows them to cross check to see if you're doing this, then you've got, you should have a business license and you don't. So here's your notice and here's your tax. Yeah. So maybe kind of explain who, you know, who should have a business license, where you should be licensed and touch on that city of Tuscaloosa worldwide gross receipts issue. <laughs> All the fun oh, stuff. Oh, well, how, how long do we have for this? Um, you know, and Kim's makes a good point, uh, not only in the city of Tuscaloosa, but, you know, throughout Alabama, we've seen uh, an increase uh, in efforts to collect municipal yeah. business licenses. Uh, again, remember, cities and counties and in, in Alabama have very limited resources for obtaining tax revenues. If it's sales and use tax and municipal business licenses are the two big sources mm -hmm. they have for revenue. Uh, and certainly in Tuscaloosa, we've seen an emphasis on that in recent years. We've had, uh, both Kim and I have had clients <laughs> that have been audited that have never, ever had issues or, or questions about A, should they have a license right. and B, how that would be calculated. Uh, so it is, it's been a growing area of, of audit focus for a lot of municipalities, including Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Um, and one of the, uh, you know, the issues that people have is they don't realize that they need a, a municipal business license in a city other than where their business may be located. Right. And so you can really end up with some significant liabilities sometimes if you do enough businesses, do enough business in other municipalities in Alabama 
uh, even though you don't actually have a store there or a location there, but uh, if you're doing enough business in those jurisdictions, you probably need to get a municipal business license there of some sort. Yeah, we had a client that performed a service for a certain industry. And so they were going to almost every single county in Alabama performing the service pretty large. And they had one business license. Yeah, yikes. And so they were audited. And I want to say it was a sales tax audit. And when they do the sales tax audit, they do your municipal business license check. And it was hefty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was bad, you know, because they didn't, they thought if they just, and and we can talk about this too. You know, I just went there once. Yeah. Well, there's still a licensing requirement. It might be the minimal, right? I mean, yeah, that, that I think there's still some arguments in that area, but okay. yes, but yes, you know, you need to look at it very closely. If you I mean even with one contact, and it may be the minimal tax, it may be that you only needed a delivery license, depending right. on what, it, yeah. what the what the business is. So. Yeah. Um, and then they're due typically. The city of Tuscaloosa is due in February, I believe. Correct. And February fifteenth. Yeah. Northport is the deadline. I mean, they're, I guess, technically due January 1st, but right. nobody worries about that until <laughs> uh, the, the de- absolute deadline is February 15th. For, for most jurisdictions in Alabama, there are some municipalities that have elected to stay with the, mun- the February 1st deadline, I okay. think. But they're, 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 those are few and far between, but there are a few of them out there. So don't get caught uh, by surprise in those jurisdictions. Yeah, and and here's here's what I often hear. So my office is located in this. My home office is in the city of Tuscaloosa, and I I'm just gonna include my Tuscaloosa gross receipts yeah. in my business license, right? No, it sounds great <laughs> in concept and logically that would be true. Yeah. But as I remind clients, often tax and tax law is not logical always. Um, and unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for Tuscaloosa and other jurisdictions in Alabama, the law says that they have the ability to to impose their business license on essentially worldwide gross receipts with certain limitations. And one of those is if you have a branch office or, or a, you know a store located in those other jurisdictions where you're obtaining a municipal business license, then you can carve out some of those gross receipts. But otherwise. Yeah. They have a pretty broad path to pull in gross receipts from uh, at least within Alabama, let's yeah. just say. Yeah, yeah. Outside yeah. of the state, then there's some arguments to be had. So. Right, right. And so in a, in, a, in a sense, people feel that they're being taxed twice. Yeah, and, and they and you are. can be. You yeah. can, absolutely can be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that is that is the way that the law is written in Alabama, and, and people – need to understand. I think a lot of people think that the that double taxation is not allowed and that's absolutely <laughs> It happens it, all the time. <laughs> while it's not not the ideal situation, it's absolutely not um, it's not barred by law. You can be double taxed. No, and it's not our fault. No, it's not. <laughs> no. Okay. One last thing on licenses. Um, <clears throat> so I own a commercial building and I rent it out. That's not a business, that's rental. I don't know anything, right? Uh, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> uh, and I do think a lot of people have been caught by surprise at that, that they don't really think about that as a business. Uh, but if you look at how business is defined in the, in the, in the statutes, it's very broad yeah. and basically pulls in any, any means by which you are obtaining income like that. So, so you would, you, yeah, you, so 
Tuscaloosa has a, a rental license tax on commercial rentals. Correct. And there are some exceptions. Right. And then Northport does commercial rentals. Does Northport Correct. tax? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't... They don't have some of the exceptions that right. are in the Tuscaloosa... Uh, what ordinance. about residential rentals? You know, a lot of people in this town own condominiums or something for uh, uh, students. I don't think there's a residential no, rental license. We do license. not currently have one of those. Okay, that's what I that's thought. That's correct. And remember, we were on that committee, chamber committee, who was helping work out that. I shouldn't have mentioned that because that's been around a long time. Okay, that has been a long that. time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are there any few little, uh, just as a wrap up, any few little new items for 2023 that we need to be on the lookout for? State income sales it worth mentioning right now? Um, you know, there we had several pieces of tax legislation passed by the Alabama legislature in the general session earlier this year. Uh, most of those are very beneficial to small businesses. Uh, so you want to be sure you take advantage of those. Um, in, you know, we've they have they're in the process of eliminating the minimum business privilege tax. Yay! Uh, it's reduced to fifty dollars <laughs> in twenty twenty three, and then eliminated completely starting in twenty twenty four. That's the minimum business privilege tax. So that will uh, help literally thousands of businesses, small businesses in Alabama. Will that include? And I'm behind. So will that include the initial? business privilege tax or is it just the minimum fee annually do you know i don't I know i think it includes the initial now you still have to file your annual report right. with the secretary of state and that's the one thing people need to remember that you still have to file that but i think it i believe it's from the beginning oh, but that's awesome I, I, don't yeah. hold me to that i need to double check <laughs> but i think that's correct um you know we've seen uh the the estimated sales tax filing thresholds uh, raised as well, uh, which helps some small businesses not yeah. have to remit uh, the estimated sales taxes as as frequently. So that's beneficial. Um, we also had an uh, legislation passed that exempts up to $40,000 of, of market value from state business privilege, uh, business personal personal property tax that's okay, what i'm trying there to say we go. yeah the long lost tax i yeah. call it the personal property tax personal property tax uh and your local jurisdictions have the option to uh, also exempt that i don't know that i've seen any do that and i would not expect them to frankly so. mm -hmm. uh, but we do have that as well so several of those smaller pieces of legislation that passed that are going to be beneficial to small businesses particularly starting in 2023 and going forward um they, uh, you know, the legislature will not meet, start meeting again, I think, until March of this next year because okay. of the election cycle. We start on, have a later start date um, in 2023. But, you know, there are several uh, tax items that we would expect to be on the legislative agenda, to be on the watch for. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of discussion about one-time tax rebates to oh. Alabama citizens because the state has taken in a, a lot of money over the last few years uh, due to the federal uh, money that's come in through the COVID relief funds uh, and the tax collections as well, I think are up 15%, yeah, something like yeah, that. I so, that the other day. Mm -hmm. so I, I, I would be shocked if you don't see some type of state tax rebate. Um, there'll be a one-time thing coming up in 2023. We always have gambling legislation of some sort come <laughs> up in Alabama and you say, well, why does that matter? Uh, because essentially, most people are treating gambling legislation as a tax 
tax matter because they see that instead of raising taxes, they can just have gambling and that's going to offset taxes. And so that will, it does have an impact on taxes. If we ever have any kind of gambling legislation yeah. passed, it's a perennial uh, issue in Alabama, one of which who knows if we'll ever resolve. But at this point, you will expect to see that again come up next year. Um, there's also a proposal to um, to exempt leases of tangible personal property that when it's leased to a nonprofit corporation oh, wow. uh, from the lease tax, uh, which makes good sense. Currently, you know, nonprofits uh, still have to pay that lease tax, even though a lot of people think that they should be exempt. And, and I will say that's a caution for all of our businesses out there. There's this assumption out there, especially small businesses, that if, an, if a business is, uh, if an organization is a nonprofit, or even if they're federally tax exempt for income tax purposes, there's this assumption that they are exempt from Alabama sales and use taxes. They and, are not. And generally, they are not. <laughs> they are not. The general rule, you should assume that they are not. And um, if they are, they will have a tax exemption certificate. And you have to have a copy of that on file, or you should have a copy of that on right. file. Uh, and if you have that copy on file, then you're protected. And, right. you and it has to be renewed every year, so you have to get that certificate uh, renewed every year. As a, as a tax exempt entity, and you as a business that's selling to them, if you're going to continue to sell without collecting sales and use tax from them, you need to get that updated from them every year. So it's a pain, but that's yeah. just part of the process. So it's a, that's part of that documentation that's we right. talked about you need to have as a business. Um, we're also going to have a you know a huge distribution of federal funds. The, the last, what, $1 billion that and the ARPA funds that the state has will be distributed next year. So that's going to have a huge impact across the state as well. Um, so there's several things to look for, and there's always surprises. Oh, yeah, Every always. legislative session that we don't <laughs> see coming, um, there's several conformity-type pieces of legislation that we won't get into here, but uh, there's lots to watch for when the legislature starts meeting again in March. Well, I tell you what, Blake, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. It's always fun to talk you know, tax. And while you were sitting there talking about things, I thought, oh, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about this. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to extend you a formal invitation <laughs> back for Salt Park 2. I bet there's people out there that just can't wait for that. Absolutely. But I think we do need to do that. And I would like for us to, you know, maybe maybe at some point narrow our um, discussion to some specific industries uh, that I think would really help people that were in, in that industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talked about earlier that state and local sales taxes in Alabama are very complex, for a lot of businesses, it, they really are, and you get in some really uh, murky gray areas on some of those that we've, you know, worked with together. Uh, so I think it would be useful to have those discussions. I think so. And people can follow you on LinkedIn and Twitter at Alabama Tax Lawyer, A-L-A-T-A-X-L-A-W-Y-E-R. Correct. Okay. Correct. And um, that's going to be our salt discussion for today and we appreciate you listening to our podcast and we appreciate if you would like and share and you can find us on youtube and any other um uh where you, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast thanks blake absolutely thank you if you would like us to help your business or would like to suggest additional podcast topics simply send an email to info at jmf.com and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube and your favorite audio podcast apps.